You better listen, my brother, cause if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they're willing to we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free. Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's weekly live stream. This is the inaugural edition. Uh, Chris Garlock here from Union City Radio. My co-host this week, uh, I don't think we have Chris LaGrange yet. He's on his way. That's Chris with a K. He's host of UCOM Live. Joe Cadwell is here, host of the Grit Northwest Podcast. Welcome, Joe. Good to have you here. Thank you. And Patrick Dixon, uh, back again from the Labor History Today podcast. Welcome, Patrick. Uh, also, we've got Alan Weirdak. He's also from the Labor History Today podcast. And uh, our producer, uh, Evan Papp from Empathy Media Labs. All right, our guest is our. Uh, we've got a lot of big news to talk about, obviously, the inauguration of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, President and Vice President of the United States. Uh, I will admit to have getting a little choked up myself. We want to talk about uh, what that means for labor. Uh, but they had a very busy first day on the job. And so uh, we'd already lined up uh, Mark McDermott uh, to join us. He served as regional rep for the Pacific Northwest and Northern Plains states under U.S. Secretary of Labor Hilda Solis. Uh, we also have Mark, that's Mark with a C, Dan. He served as attorney general for the state of Ohio. He now leads Dan Law, which specializes in protecting consumers from various forms of predatory financing. And also uh, joining us, Kurt Stand, who's a longtime colleague of mine, uh, programming the monthly Bread and Roses Labor Culture Series at Busboys and Poets here in Washington, D.C., which is sadly, uh, but for obvious reasons, on hiatus during the pandemic. But uh, hopefully, uh, Kurt will be back in person sometime this year. Um, he's a regular contributor Portside, which is uh, celebrating 20 years of seeking out and providing information that empowers the left. And uh, welcome to you all. We have a special guest who's uh, popped in at uh, late notice at the top of the show. And that's uh, uh, my old friend, Joe McCartan, a labor history professor. Um, for the purposes of this uh, show, though, uh, he wrote the book on PATCO. Um, uh, collision course, which is about the PATCO strike and Ronald Reagan. And the reason we need Joe here tonight is because one of the first things Joe Biden did today was call for the resignation of the General Counsel of the National Labor Relations Board. And when I was uh, researching Brother Rob, I had forgotten, Joe, that he, uh, he cut his teeth, so to speak, on the PATCO situation. So I need you to explain to folks why, why he needs to go quickly. Hi, Chris, it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, Peter Robb is, I think, symbolically very important. When, when Donald Trump named him as general counsel uh, of the NLRB, it seemed like he was trying to send a message to labor. Uh, 
Um, and again, it goes back to the PATCO strike, the professional air traffic controller strike of 1981, which itself was an important symbolic moment. In 1981, when the air traffic controllers went out on strike, um, Patrick, or rather Peter Robb worked for the Federal Labor Relations Authority. And he was the person who filed charges against PATCO uh, for engaging in a strike. Uh, and he sought PATCO's decertification as the union uh, of air traffic controllers, a case that actually he won. Uh, and uh, so he played a, a key role in the destruction of PATCO. By the time that case was brought, Reagan had already fired the strikers, but the decertification of the union uh, itself was um, a blow to the, to the entire labor movement. Uh, Rob went on to become a management side labor attorney and to, to fight unions in other contexts in later years in the private sector. But when um, Donald Trump named him as NLRB general counsel uh, four years ago, um, it seemed like he was almost purposely um, resurrecting the PATCO strike. And, and what we've seen in, in the years uh, of the Trump administration and, and Peter Rob as general counsel is that he engaged in a really aggressive anti-union uh, effort, trying to centralize power uh, within the NLRB, uh, away from field offices to make it harder for uh, enforcement to happen, um, trying to make it easier for uh, aggrieved members to sue unions even on uh, flimsy grounds, um, and in a, a whole bunch of other ways, trying to really tilt the playing field uh, in management's direction. So for Joe Biden on the first day of uh, coming to the presidency to ask for by 5 p.m. today, <laughs> Peter Robb to either resign or be fired is a really symbolically important moment. And it, just as when Reagan, you know, came down so hard on the controllers, it seemed to signal a sea change. I think that Biden coming out of the gate and taking on Rob in this way signals a different kind of sea change and a, and a very welcome one. I think we all really uh, agree. We had a meeting uh, the network earlier today and we were noting that, and, and a lot of us liked Biden's speech, but we were kind of noticing that there wasn't a whole lot about, you know, labor uh, in there. And so I, I think you're right that, that you know, this is, this is some real, you know, concrete call uh, just so a technical question for you, because I don't know the answer to this and, and I don't think any of us do. So can he fire Rob? I thought he had a, he has a term that, that goes for 10 more months. He has a term that runs till November. That's right. They have four year terms for the general counsel. They're independent of the, the board members. And, and that goes back to the Taft-Hartley Act, which separated out the general counsel's office from, from the board. Um, and gave it more independence with the idea that the general counsel could become more in the vein of what exactly what Rob has tried to be. Um, I think there, there will certainly probably, if Rob wants to contest it, he probably could. Uh, I think that ultimately Biden does have the authority, but I, I don't, it's not really been tested. It's been since 1950 that a president has asked for the resignation of a general counsel. Um, and that was Harry Truman who asked for the resignation of the council that was appointed uh, after the general counsel's office was created in this format by the Taft-Cartley Act. 
Um, it hasn't really been tested since. I think Biden does have the authority and we'll see what happens. Fascinating stuff. Boy, I tell you, you know, Joe, of course, you're a key part of our Labor History Today podcast. And, you know, it, it just is amazing how, you know, labor history just keeps not being history, right? It, it, keeps, it keeps having so much to do with, with what's going on today. Let me just see, uh, and again, thanks for dropping everything and jumping on before we let you go. Any other questions uh, from uh, our guests or our other hosts here before we let Joe go? I see. Oh, and Chris LaGrange, Chris with a K is here. Chris, good to see you, brother. All right. Uh, Patrick Dixon. It just seems it'd be a curious irony if Biden, as the employer of Rob, had to resort to uh, management style uh, tactics to make his employee Rob feel uncomfortable enough to leave. It seemed a curious irony there. It is, you know, I don't think uh, management likes it when the shoe is on the other foot very often. Uh, well, Joe, couldn't, yeah. couldn't he do what uh, Trump's folks kept doing? Couldn't he like reassign him to, you know, I don't know, South Dakota or something? <laughs> That's a good question, Chris. I, I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, I really, I am encouraged by this. I think it's a really important move. And, and you know, it does show how much symbolism can really matter. And while there wasn't a whole lot, as you note, a reference to workers and worker issues today from the rostrum, really where the rubber is going to hit the road is in who gets appointed, who gets ousted, and what the policies are. And, you know, I'm optimistic we'll see really important changes. And I think that, that getting rid of Peter Rob sends a really good message. Uh, just before you go, Alan, I think we have some uh, some breaking news uh, on that. So Rob had until five to resign or be fired. I think we have an official response from him, don't we? Yeah, he is apparently contesting this. Um, he okay. His actual statement uh, from 630 is, I respectfully decline to resign from my Senate-confirmed four-year term appointment as general counsel of the NLRB less than 10 months before the expiration of my term. Um, well. Yeah, it'll go to court now, I, I, I suppose. But I think that, you know, this is a good symbolic fight for Biden to be in, I think, right now. Um, well, and it, it, it echoes what happened at, uh, with the CFPB. And there's now a U.S. Supreme Court decision uh, on the ability of, uh, of uh, or the, the validity of those independent for, uh, term uh, extended uh, uh, office officers. So I think there's pretty good precedent. Uh, and I think not only is a fight worth having, but a fight that, uh, that Biden can win early on as well. I, agree. I, I think this is an important issue, but I think that President Biden today could have spoken very directly to the issue of requiring the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to adopt emergency rules, yeah. ordering that the voluntary guidelines of the Centers for Disease Control about protections on the job be made legally mandatory. The Trump administration refused to do that. They knew that by refusing to force employers to do it, that literally hundreds or thousands of workers would die and tens of thousands would be needlessly infected. And every day that, that, is, that we do not have an emergency rule in place or an executive order, more workers are going to be needlessly sickened and die. And in the next five weeks, 
another 100,000 Americans are going to die from the coronavirus. And a bunch of them are going to get sick from work where the employers are not complying. President Biden can make that decision tomorrow. And that I worked with uh, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union with their meatpackers who were 80% people of color, 40% immigrants. And they have had tens of thousands of their members sickened, again, by the refusal of the companies to comply. That can be done tomorrow. And Thanks. if you can't move quickly when we know workers will literally be dying every day, we need to call up and say, President Biden, we're with you, but you got to act. Great. Thanks, I couldn't Mark. agree more. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, and here, I think history can also be helpful for us, right? Um, as Chris said, you know, to remind you of that Faulkner quote, the past is not dead, it's not even past, is one thing. Well, and President, President Obama did that in the H1N1 yeah. pandemic. So there's legal authority and, and, and historical precedent to move and move now, not wait a week, not wait a month. And I think that the, 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 the way that history really resonates for me at this moment is that clearly we've had a shift in the right direction. And when that happens, then I think people's expectations begin to rise. Mm -hmm. And at that moment is when we can really begin to push. And what the Biden presidency will become is really, I think, to a great extent up to us and the workers out there and all the people who want to make the kinds of things you're talking about, Mark, happen. Um, I think Biden is not going to, you know, take some steps without being pushed. And, but at least now I think we have somebody we can push. And, and I think that the Peter Robb thing shows that he's pointed in the right direction. Uh, there will be some pushes required over time, but that, that was true with Roosevelt. And it's, you know, it's gonna be true if we have, we have a big moment in the next couple of years. Thanks, Joe. Hey, I promised you five minutes. So thanks for dropping whatever you were doing and, and jumping on. Uh, I'll probably follow up. We're probably gonna need you to get him on the, uh, on the radio show tomorrow, but thank you, Joe McCartan, author of Collision Course. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. And you guys, I think, are you know, one of the things that makes me so optimistic about labor in this moment. So thank you for the great work you're doing. Appreciate Thanks. it. All right, Joe Thanks. McCartan. All right, let me do a uh, just a quick uh, go around uh, from our guests and then just, uh, you know, do our usual uh, freewheeling, open it up here. Uh, Mr. Dan, I just wanted, actually, let me get you to tilt your camera down slightly if we could, so we can get more of you and less, there we go. I'm going to get the full, the full mark down there. Um, just- uh, There's a little more, more of me than people want to see, um, so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had a great column uh, in the Working Class Perspectives blog, which should be required reading, I believe, uh, time to deliver how Biden should respond to the insurrection. Uh, just give us a couple of, of the key thoughts you had uh, there uh, to share with folks. Well, I, you know, I, I lived most of my life in Youngstown, Ohio, um, surrounded by uh, working class and union workers who are my clients and my friends and my neighbors, um, many of whom now um, are, 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 are not only Trump supporters, but, but have bought into some of these conspiracy theories, the 
and, and it's and I, I believe it's the lack of hope that people have had um, over the past several administrations, not just the Trump administration, but going back to Obama, really going back to the Clinton administration and the Bush administrations in be uh, administration in between, that they've been robbed of any hope that their situation might get better. Uh, I mean, because I, I the question in my mind and the question that, that we should not forget about is as joyous and, and, and peaceful as today's celebration was, is, is, is that how did we get here? How did, how did regular people who were my friends and my kids' football coach uh, end up uh, following a charlatan like Donald Trump to the steps of the US Capitol and, and inside uh, to cause violence and harm? And, 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 and I think we have to look at the failures, not just of the Republican Party, uh, but of the Democratic Party as well to embrace uh, the, those that they purport to represent. Uh, and, and I think Joe Biden, certainly it's a nice symbolic step to fire the, the fellow from the NLRB. And, I, and, I, and I'm certainly not against that, but, but there is a history of, of, of corporatist Democrats making great promises in the campaign uh, and then breaking them uh, to workers and to organized labor when they become, when, when, when they're in office. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, if, if there's a symbol of the corporatist wing of the Democratic Party, it's 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 Joe Biden, and not that he hasn't been a consistent, safe labor vote over the years. But I, you know, I know from the bankruptcy reform effort that went on, you know, he was he was the you know he was the congressman from NBLA or the senator from NBNA during that time, and uh, and and that it's that uh, fact the fact that that people don't think either the Democrats or Republicans are representing what what working class people uh, to restore to them some hope that their situation will improve. Uh, and all they've seen over the last you know, 20 years is, is a decrease in, the, in their standard of living. Uh, and and, 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 and uh, so I, I talked about some of the things I thought Biden could do uh, both unilaterally and with Congress in order to, in order to achieve that. Thank you, Mark. And, and just a reminder to all of our co-hosts here, this really is wide open. So Chris, Joe, Evan, Patrick, Alan, I, I see a lot of nodding heads there. Don't don't be shy about jumping in. Uh, Chris, what's what's what's, uh, yeah, what's so on your mind, brother? You know, we like to blame the Democrats for all of our failures, but why aren't we looking at ourselves in the mirror? I mean, I do communications for 35 local unions and labor councils in the Northeast, and I will expand. UCOM will grow, and certain choice unions who had control of their culture, like Local 3, IBW, New York City told their Trumper rank and file, vote for Biden, Trump is bad. He had the courage and fortitude to do that as a labor leader because he also told his members, if you don't like me, then you do this job and I won't do it. Well, guess what? Electricians in New York like making money and make like making $250,000 a year and driving two pickup trucks. They're not going to argue with him. How many of my clients in education and communications failed to even put the word B-I-D-E-N in their communication. We can blame these Lib Lab Democrats all we want. Really, the problem is us, because the Democratic Party does not feel threatened. We're not going to their homes where they live, elected officials, whether they're county legislators or, or congressmen, and holding their feet to the fire when they let us down. I mean, what did we say when they let us down with the Employee Free Choice Act? Oh, it's okay. We want health care. Now we got this PRO Act. 
Now we got to hold them accountable. And it's not just holding them accountable, but the new Republican that's coming in. You know, we also got to realize that, you know, everybody in this call, except for me, has books behind them. You're smart, Chris. So is the other guy. You're all, we're all intelligent people. Are our rank and file intelligent enough to decipher fact versus fiction? Do we blame the American educational system for the rise of Trumpism? I think we are, are all to blame for this. You know, we lost our late way of labor leaders. You know, the time of flipping cop cars and getting crazy in the streets went away to apps and being kind. Maybe being a little bit more militant and doing what the Teamsters are doing right now in Hunts Point in New York, getting arrested by New York's Trumpist, I mean, finest, is the way to go. I mean, that's what we need to be talking about here is that we understand, Democrats, why you lost respect for us, because we didn't force you to. Now with Biden, we're mad at him for not using the word organized labor or union in front of a most divided country ever. He said cool words like middle class, jobs that with dignity. And I think we got to be patient with that and let the good political folks that work for us in the union community work with our elected officials to know that we're on top of you this time. The Obama years were great, but now it's different. Men and women are dying, and we, we need real change now. And the PRO Act is your time to prove to us that you love us, and we're going to love you, and we're going to help you rebuild your Democratic Party. Well, Kurt, Kurt, I think that sets you up really nice. So I'll come to you in just a second, Mark. But Kurt, you know, I, I want to switch from one to another. You're, you're over there at Portside. Your, your thoughts reacting there? Yeah, actually, that, that gets, and this discussion gets straight to the heart of what we're about. I mean, Chris asked me to uh, uh, take part in this looking at, uh, and I'll explain what Portside is in a second, uh, for those who don't know, but our appeal at the end of the year said multiracial working class democracy or fascism. And that's really what we have facing us. And what that means is do working people choose a solution that's narrow, that thereby is anti-democratic, or is it the way of the working class? And the working class is multiracial. It's multi-income. I remember um, years ago, Jackie Brophy, she had been at the American Federation of uh, Labor Education Departments like 30, 40 years ago, pointed out to me that the labor movement represents some of the wealthiest people in this country, uh, network broadcasters, professional athletes, and some of the poorest people in this country, right? Farm workers, service workers, and so on. That's our strength, not a weakness. And we want that gap to narrow, of course. And the same with uh, racially. Right? We're a multiracial country and we're, we have numerous views about it. I was a big Bernie supporter. I was a big Jesse Jackson supporter, right? But, but I, trust me, I'm drinking tonight because I'm thrilled Biden and Harris are in. And more importantly, I'm thrilled that Trump's out. But the important thing is, is that for us, we have to one, encourage debate within our own ranks. I'm not expecting schools or universities to educate members, we have to educate them, which means it's okay for somebody to say, yeah, I kind of like Biden. And it's okay for somebody to say, no, I don't. 
And it's okay for somebody to say, I have empathy with my brother who is a laid off steel worker. And it's okay for somebody to say, I can't deal with that racist. That's okay if we're able to have that discussion from the standpoint that, well, you all need social justice. We all need economic justice. We all need racial justice. We all need the same thing. And just as a little promo, port side is the left. If you've ever been on a ship, right? It's the left side. Uh, we're a collective. We uh, come out every day with uh, five articles that we choose randomly, um, sometimes from working class perspectives, including uh, that wonderful one that I got listening to uh, Chris's show uh, about Christmas films, being a big Christmas person. We have a labor post once a week and we have a culture post. We post on science, on food, always from the point of view of educating people. And, in, and we respect the people in the labor movement and we respect their ability to think and in our society in general, though not just in the labor movement, of course, to think critically and to learn and to act. So that's my spiel. I wanna build on a couple of these comments. One is one of the great mistakes that we made in 2009 and 2010 was saying, oh, Obama's in, Democrats are in, we can sit back and they'll take care of it. And they didn't take care of it. And we collectively need to own what mm -hmm. we didn't do to put the pressure on them relentlessly during those two years. And at the end of the two years, they got bombed and then nothing was gonna pass Congress. You could, you could have just said, well, forget about Congress for the next six years and I'm gonna pass anything that's gonna help us. So in 2021 and 2022, we have to learn from our own historical mistakes mm -hmm. of what are we going to do that is profoundly different. We put enormous amounts of energy into winning this election. We need to keep that energy up and pressure, support Biden and the Democrats where they're doing good things, but push them hard and create space for them to win. The other thing we need to do is to own that probably close to 50% of non-college educated white men in the labor movement voted for Trump. Okay, let's be honest about that. Now, Trump is virulently anti-union. There's, there's overwhelming evidence to that effect. Why would half of the non-college educated white male members of labor vote for a guy who is a notorious union buster and Mr. Rob being the latest version? Black members in the labor movement didn't vote 50% for Trump. Women didn't vote 50%, Latinos didn't. We need to look inside of our own labor movement and figure out how we're gonna have a constructive struggle to try and win back a lot of the members who were voting for somebody who said very clearly, I'm in favor of national right to work. Mm -hmm. I mean, why let would me, people uh, do that? Let me, let me- uh, and, We need to struggle uh, with that question. I want to get Kurt back in on this, but I also want to get uh, Joe. You've been you've been uh, quiet, and, and uh, Joe hosts uh, Grit Northwest. He's a out of the Carpenters Union. Joe, what's on your mind? I'm I'm just in awe of what everyone's uh, been sharing so far. You know, as a, uh, a rookie podcaster, I uh, I feel like I've uh, just really uh, more beneficial just to kind of keep my ears open and learn from what uh, what I'm hearing here. Uh, if you've heard my show, you know it's it's. Uh, it's, it's softball compared to uh, uh, the hardball we're playing right now. And I just, I appreciate uh, the perspective you folks are putting out and I'm, I'm hoping to, uh, to continue to learn from you and uh, begin to 
be able to bring uh, that this type of content to my show to continue to uh, educate and inspire our members, union members of the Northwest Carpenters Union and who else, ever else is listening to, uh, to step up and start pushing back like Chris has said and like Mark has said and like Kurt has said. So uh, thank you for that, Chris, but I'm happy to just kick back and listen for the, for the time being. Now that's fine, but I just want to say Joe, Joe has got a podcast that's listened to by a bunch of carpenters are in the Northwest. So a lot of things that you guys are talking about, these are the voices that people are listening to. So this is one of the reasons why I'm really glad that Joe's here and I'm glad he has a podcast. Uh, Evan, you've got something to say. Yeah, so the PRO Act for the last Congress, you know, it needs to be reintroduced with every new Congress. So we're in the 117th Congress and it's going to need to be reintroduced. The last the last Congress, the PRO Act had something like 218 co-sponsors, right? So it, it, and it passed the Pelosi House and it should be able to pass very easily. Now it, it wasn't able to be introduced in the Senate. So obviously now the Democrats should be able to introduce it and get it, get it on the floor as a debate. And it, it should be able to be passed, you know, 50 plus one with Kamala Harris voting on it. So I think you know, Chris, you, you do have a, a pack and trying to uh, really identify the, the committee members because it went through the House Education and Labor Committee in the House and the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions it was referred to and then never got, uh, got out of that committee. So it, it's, it's also knowing about the mechanics of the legislation and, and how to actually, the pressure points and how they can, they can slow this down. So if we're really serious, that's where we want to put effort in, in the PRO Act. It's not that hard. You just need to identify the right people. Um, Mark and then Kurt. Yeah, I, I wanted to respond to Mark a little bit. Um, you know, I, uh, one of the things I talked about when I talked about the labor reforms that Congress ought to undertake, uh, we can't forget about uh, creating more transparency and democracy in the labor movement itself. Um, one of the reasons, one of, I, one of the things, those 50% of white male labor union members that Mark uh, uh, spoke of, uh, they they think that the labor leadership is in cahoots with the with the corporate leadership and the and and, and the lead, and the political leadership in the country and 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 there are many situations where they have good reason to believe that. Uh, I think the credibility of labor to come to the table not just to to reform uh, access and openness and in in in, in, in uh, organizing. Uh, and, and additional safety protections and the kinds of things that, that, that are traditional, they ought to be standing tall for reform that, that, that makes labor unions more transparent uh, and more open. And I think that's one of the ways that they can begin to win the hearts and minds of those members back, both acting internally and in terms of their external uh, approach to Congress. And, and uh, 50, I wish it was 50 point plus one, but it's not, uh, Evan, unfortunately. And so you know, how do you reach the hearts and minds of, uh, of, of another 10 Republicans or nine Republicans? And, uh, and I think th that may be one of the ways uh, to do that, because they've got a great argument. Uh, if you just read the newspaper about, about you know, look at what, what the, happened to the UAW just in the last few years. I mean, it's, it's tragic. That was, that, was the, that was the Democratic, the, you know, the, the, the ethical union um, in, you know, in the world. Um, and, you know, and, and in a few minutes, it just it just imploded, and it it's sh it's shaken the confidence of those members, and that's what I hear from from my political friends who have switched over to Trump um, over the years, and and that's who we, we need to uh, whose confidence we need to reengage. 
uh, Kurt, and then I think uh, Chris, I think I saw some stuff from Chris there. So Kurt, go ahead. Yeah, uh, a couple of things. First, just to go back a little bit from what Joe was talking about earlier, in 1984, right, when Mondale was running for president after four years of Reagan in office, and with the full backing of the AFL-CIO, the NAACP, the National Organization of Women, the Environmental Defense Club, you name it, not only did Reagan win, I think, 49 states, he won, it was embarrassing, I forget the percentage of union votes. I mean, far worse than Trump did. We've got, we've made progress since then. So, um, which just shows the difficulty that we're facing. And in part from what's been said, right, we've had labor, I mean, Taft-Hartley was after all, uh, gutted the real value, I mean, the power of the Labor Relations Act, and that was what, 1949? And we've had Democrats in office and we haven't been able to do anything about that yet. And especially Carter, Clinton, Obama, there's been labor law reforms every time they've always started with democratic majorities and they haven't been able to act on it. But I think the other thing, and this is why and it goes back to that notion, I don't like separating and talking about the white working class or white workers. Mm. We have a working class and people have to see themselves as part of a working class. Obviously people will respond differently to different situations and their lived experiences are different, but there's also a commonality. And that's where we lost it. And last point on this, because I was in Milwaukee in the 1970s, I bummed around a little bit. Um, and, and a buddy of mine was working at Laddish Company, another company that shut down, it was a truck making factory. Workers there, black and white, white workers, black worker was mistreated, they would defend him to the core, willing to work off the job against a foreman who was discriminating against a black worker. But you try to integrate their neighborhood, you, I mean, you know, it was a different story. And that's where we lost. So people saw what was happening to them and then it happened to us. And it's difficult and it's not to point fingers, it's, it's hard and people's lived realities are, I have tremendous empathy, but that's where, where solidarity begins is even in terms of how we conceptualize things and look at things. So. Thanks Kurt. I wanna get, uh, give Chris a couple of words here before we go to a break. Uh, Brother LaGrange. Chris, how can you never say anything? I'm just trying to keep all the planes you're in of, DC, man. man. You're in the center of it. I mean, your city was on fire two weeks ago. I mean, I, Evan did say something that perked my interest that, yes, my pack, my crazy little super pack with no money made such an impact in helping to rebuild that blue wall and getting involved in Georgia. And here's something I haven't done in a long, long time is actually work with the AFL-CIO directly <laughs> in being part whoa, of something whoa. productive. I can't believe it, Chris. You're working, I don't know, can you sleep at night? <laughs> no, I haven't slept better in, in four years, my brother. But what we did there is the AFL-CIO in New York State and Washington, D.C., DDK, Garlics of the World, got us all together like all hands on deck in Georgia get involved in Georgia, work together, eat a little crow, swallow your ego, and get involved and help us elect these two men to Senate. And we won. Now we have a real chance to go ahead and win this PRO Act, which I think should be our absolute 
number one concentration. I will punch Peter Rob in the face as long as someone bails me out. Okay, I don't have a lot of money. But the PRO Act is number one to me. You know, we want COVID safety. The Teamsters want this. Everyone wants their piece out of this new president. But this PRO Act is something that Mark, Evan, Joe, in the rank of file with the Carpenters, we all have a stake in this game with the PRO Act. And I'm depending on the AFL-CIO to tell UCOM, UCOM PAC, Chris Garlick, Mark, Evan, Mark, all of us, how we can help put the pressure to get this because I don't want right to work to even be part of my conversation anymore. And I want to make every red state blue and blue states even better. Like what um, Mark was saying, you know, we need to be progressive within our, even within our own ranks. And we can't do that with red states and low union density. So I'm depending on the AFL-CIO to be more open with all of us labor communicators on what we can do to make this law you know, make this dream a law. Thanks, Chris. And we want to keep this conversation going. And, and I will say uh, that the one of the things that I have heard uh, specifically to the PRO Act is that that battle is not going to be won in the Capitol, that that mm -hmm. battle is going to be uh, in the streets. You know, it's, it's going to have to be a movement this time. And that goes to, the, I think, the points that all of our guests have made, which is that we've had a number of bites at this apple before. And that generally what tended to happen was that it got sort of put into the hands of the lobbyists and the professionals and the people who cut the deals behind closed doors. And what I'm hearing uh, here in D.C. is that we are going to need to be mobilized. And it's interesting, you know, when I talk about mobilized in the streets, I mean, we have a different idea of what that could mean. I mean, we're talking about our normal mobilization that we do as a labor movement uh, to make sure to uh, stiffen the spines uh, of our supporters in the House and in the Senate. Uh, that's what I'm hearing. And we're, we're gonna need to get more folks on this show and frankly, on all the shows. And this is one of the reasons that this network exists is that we need to build a drumbeat across all 83 shows, I think it is now that we have in the network for the PRO Act. Uh, that would be a real feather in our cap. All right. Um, so uh, if everybody can stay with us, uh, that would be great. We got another 15 minutes to go, but we want to bring in uh, another voice, an exciting voice. And to set that up, uh, I think um, Evan is going to run a little video for us. So if you could do that, Evan, and we'll see you guys on the other side of that. Prices have doubled, but your wages have not. Your working conditions are terrible. So, I'm tired of all the people. What if you could earn $90 in six months? Tell 90? me I should just go sit down. You think the government will let an immigrant tell them what to do? I'm sick of being seen as people. I'm Stefan Sokolowski. And being scared in my do you live here? I live there. My name is Rebecca Almazo. When you don't count me among your equals, you got this color skin, and they don't let you in no more. Just lie down. The more we do nothing, the more nothing changes. So now I'm gonna stand on the strength of those shoulders. Join us in a general strike. Stand up and never back down. 
So welcome back. This is the Labor Radio Podcast Network Weekly Live Stream. I'm Chris Garlock from Union City. Before I introduce our next guest, we just reintroduce our existing panel, Mark McDermott, longtime economic justice and labor educator. Mark Dan, that's Mark with a C, leads Dan Law, specializes in protecting consumers and various forms of predatory financing. And Kurt Stand. Uh, Kurt, I didn't realize this movie was named after you, but there it is. Uh, he's a contributor to Portside. Uh, my co-conspirators, my co-host today, uh, we've got uh, we've got everybody here. Uh, there's Chris Lagrange. That's Chris with a K. I'm Chris with a C. Just everybody knows the difference there. Um, and uh, Joe Cadwell. Uh, Chris is with UCOM Live at the New York City area. Joe Cadwell. Grit Northwest, Pos Northwest Podcast up there in the Northwest part of the country. Uh, Patrick Dixon, my collaborator on Labor History Today. Uh, Alan Weirdak, uh, also from Labor History Today. And Evan Papp, our master producer, as getting everything running smoothly there. Uh, and I'm really pleased to welcome to this conversation uh, Danny Schur, who's just put out a movie about um, a general strike that's over 100 years old from Canada, <laughs> Winnipeg, where, where Danny is, where he told me it was like something like 35 degrees below zero yesterday. So I don't want to hear anybody complain about the temperature at this point, because uh, Danny was actually out skating for some reason. Uh, but anyway, great composer. He produced this film. Uh, so Danny, what uh, you, you went around and raised a whole bunch of money from a whole bunch of labor leaders you got to tell me how these conversations went. And, and Chris Lagrange, you got to think about, you know, Danny's walking in to talk to the head of IBW asking for money for a labor musical. How did that go for you? Well, that one specifically, uh, Sherilyn Wright, who I believe is chief of staff. I'm not exactly sure of her position at IBW. Uh, she walked us in to see President Stevenson and uh, the look of skepticism on his face was was definitely super diplomatic in his Southern gentleman. Don't let this guy in. <laughs> but, you know, he, like, I'm a talker, as you will soon find out. And he just let us talk. We said, here's the vision. It's Norma Ray, but it's Hamilton. 
and it's specifically targeted to let's I don't know what exact demographic we use that day because it changes on a meeting by meeting basis. But we just said, we know for sure that this is the glee generation. Musicals are cool. It wasn't cool when I was growing up. I don't know what it was for you, Chris, but when I was a, a hockey playing lout in the 1980s in the Canadian prairies, there's not a way in hell I would have admitted to liking musicals. But uh, to everybody's credit, President Stevenson's an everybody and i'm telling you this was almost exclusively an old white guy circuit that we were doing um who's got the money they uh they saw the wisdom in what we were proposing which was we're going to make a movie that on your behalf will be delivered to 750,000 school kids across north america uh used in the curriculum used to inspire uh and we know for sure, like we've heard places like Variety Magazine say, uh, wow, it's, uh, we get what they were doing. It's, it's really amazing. I want to open this up because uh, we, we, I have to tell folks, uh, you know, one of my hats I wear is a director of the DC uh, Labor Film Festival. Obviously, we had to go, uh, we've been around for 20 years. As of last year, we had to go online because uh, of the pandemic. We've actually been doing real well. We've been building audience, uh, you know, not only here in DC, but around the world. We had over 500 sign up for the film last night. Uh, which is a new record it, it, and, and people just absolutely loved it. Uh, you know, it's, it's got, and, and, and the thing is, it's got all these issues. We'll talk more about it, but I want to, I want to open the floor up to other folks who have questions uh, for, for Danny. And this is open to anybody. So guests, podcast hosts. Who, so just, you can jump in, raise your hand, whatever. Uh, Brother LaGrange. Yeah. So um, Danny, haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to make me cry, right? Is it going to make me cry? Like a baby. Like a baby. <laughs> uh, in my it's, younger it's a, days. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> in my younger days, I had the privilege and honor of directing Waiting for Lefty in a SUNY school in upstate New York. Garlic and native upstate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Waiting for Lefty by Clifford Odets, and it changed my life. After that, it pointed me to the AFL-CIO Organizing Institute, and here I am. So, Danny, I think what you're doing is completely divine. And I'm hoping it inspires the American Union movement to not fear going into a meeting with Lonnie Stevenson <laughs> and, and, and other folks and being like, let's do this Americana style. You know, when I was at the IBEW convention in St. Louis a few years ago, I met some IBW brothers from Saskatchewan. I couldn't understand them, but man, we drank a lot of beers and we had a, we had a good time, you know, working class guys and gals from Canada and from us here in the States, Mexico, all over the world. We have a lot in common. I, I applaud you, my friend, for doing that for us. I can't wait to watch it and I'm going to buy it. I don't want to watch it for free. I want to buy it. So contact me on your, on, on a way to do that and I'll push it out through the UCOM well, products. Well, I can, well, I can share right share now. Right you don't have to, don't have to buy it. Buy like it. right now for the next, for the next month, month or so, it's streaming via, via virtual cinema. So it's 10 bucks, a whole uh, household can watch it. Uh, we're kind of building our own little personal Netflix network. I just want to return the love from Canada to the US. You know, I don't know if I told you, Chris, when we did our first 
forays to Washington where we went like 12 times for these meetings. Um, we were not sure whether this Canadian story would be met with any love because, you know, Canadians impression of Americans is that they're just not going to listen to us. And God bless every single leader from Lonnie on down. Everybody said the same thing. Your story is our story. I tell you, it was the most gratifying thing ever. Because there are people in Winnipeg that don't give a shit about the 1919 Winnipeg general strike. And mostly it's an unknown thing. Mm -hmm. But the metaphor is so huge. It really doesn't matter where it's set. It's just a tremendous metaphor. Let me, let me build off of uh, what Danny has done, which I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. It's about solidarity. And in 2020, we saw more inter interstate solidarity in the United States than we've seen in decades. I'm from Washington State. We beat Trump by 20 points. There was no way in the world that Trump could ever win. So what do we do? We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're not going to be flying to Arizona and Georgia and all these places because we're worried about the virus. And so literally thousands of people, labor and other folks, put out, donated literally millions of dollars to the fights in Georgia and Wisconsin and Arizona and in the battleground states because we didn't need the money in our state. And people were on the phones with postcards, with texting. It was an extraordinary sea change of deep blue states, particularly on the West Coast. I, I live on the West Coast. I can't speak to what was going on in other parts of the country. And we helped win it, but we weren't on the front lines. And so now we have a chance to push Congress forward. How, we know that our senators and our uh, Democratic reps are gonna vote for the PRO Act. What can we do to continue this interstate solidarity to help our brothers and sisters in other states <laughs> where their union density is much lower, labor is much weaker, and they don't have a lot of clout to be able to even threaten, perhaps, the Democrats that are there. I think, That's Martin, something we need to talk about. How do we keep that solidarity going and growing? That's a really good point, because I think, that just like with the film festival, that you know, being forced to go online taught us a bunch of things that we never would have done otherwise. We had the same thing. We had folks throughout the metro area. Normally, you know, you'd go to the target state and people here were doing those same thing, the calls and the postcards and so forth. So it may be that we have some new exciting models. Let me go to Kurt and to Mark to, to, to riff off of these ideas as well. Uh, oh, no, no, let me get Joe in here first. So quiet, quiet Joe is speaking up. Joe and then uh, Kurt and Mark. Uh, hey, uh, Danny, I'd just like to learn a little bit more about the uh, the inspiration for the film. And was this your first production that you've done? And, and possibly what do you have next uh, in mind? No, I, uh, I've been a composer producer. I started in the pop industry way back, like in the latter part of the 80s. And I was a producer of pop acts. But I saw the light and I switched <laughs> to doing uh, musicals right around 2000. And this was my third and around these parts, up until then, this story was so non grata. Uh, the general accepted thought from, let's say, 1920 to 19, 
well, just about till 2000, was that the Winnipeg General Strike of 1919 destroyed the city. The uh, socialists took over and it was all downhill after that. That was kind of the accepted sort of narrative. But then these scholarly things came out that pointed out, wait a minute, it was the first world war that destroyed the economy. It didn't have anything to do with General Strike. My way into the story, I'm Ukrainian Canadian and the dude that was at the center of it, I don't want to give away the story. His name was Mike Sokolowski, and that is like Ukrainian as anything. Uh, when I first just even had an inkling about doing a musical about this, I was like, oh, I got it. The way in is the immigrant story, because of course it's labor. But the way in is through my background. And I knew like my mom had such an insecurity complex and it comes from this era of the shame when being an immigrant was like horrible. And then I discovered this whole boiling cauldron. This was the era of the suffragette movement. Manitoba right here was the first place women could vote in all of North America. I think we were three years ahead of the States. Um, and the issues of race and all of a sudden the general strike became this metaphor for exactly what was going on today. And the stuff that was coming out of the mouths of people then, you would swear was some Trump speechwriter. So it's that's amazing. what got me into it. And, you know, I'm a composer. I'm like, if it's dramatic history, it's going to make a good musical. So that was kind of, did I answer your question? Yeah, you sure did. Is that a full length feature film, Danny? It is, yeah. This was my first really big film. I made lots of little ones, but this was seven million bucks. And as much as that sounds like an insane amount, I point out that one episode of Game of Thrones is ten million. Oh, and they do that every week. So and just one. Kind of, oh, go ahead. Yeah. That's, that's it. It's a relatively small budget, but an insanely high amount for an indie. And, and one last question. Again, where can the listeners, where can people on Facebook, where can they I've find just, your film? I've just uh, shared, actually. This is brand new. We just set up uh, a link today, and I just shared it in the chat. Uh, and Evan, if you can share that to our, our, our viewers as well. Uh, we did a Q&A with Danny, with the director, fabulous director, and uh, with uh, the, the guy that played Mike Sokolowski, actually, who's got a whole other interesting backstory. Um, and so this link will not only enable you to do what, what uh, Chris, and I, I love the, uh, the, the, the shout out there, uh, you can pay your 10 bucks and actually uh, $2 of that will benefit uh, the Labor Film Festival, which is great. Um, and then uh, the, uh, it also includes the Q&A last night uh, with uh, all of the folks who, who made the film. So that, that's uh, built, all built into that. Uh, I wanted to go to Kurt and get some reaction from Mark as well. We are going to, because it's our special inaugural day edition, we're gonna run a little bit longer if, if uh, with, I don't think I have to get a, a can it, all those in favor, you know, get a motion <laughs> on the floor. All right, fine, cool. <laughs> it's a union thing, so yeah. Kurt. Yes, I second the motion. Uh, yes, and uh, and by the way, first, just as an aside, when I first saw the name of the film, I thought it was a reference to Sly and the Family Stone. There you go. Our, our family anthem, of course, right? But uh, leave it aside. I'm definitely looking forward to watching the film. I think, yeah, I mean, I knew a little bit about the Winnipeg strike. It's just 
but it's it's that not knowing our history, which goes to the core of the atomization. People think that they have what they have somehow because they have it, not that solidarity created it, right? And I, that goes to what Mark just said. Now, I hadn't even thought of it that way. You know, people in some states in this election showing solidarity with their brothers and sisters in Georgia and Arizona, right? That's a story that'll be important to remember 10 years from now, right? Nobody will even think about that. That it's a simple thing. It's not as dramatic as a general strike, but it's a solidarity that makes it possible for us to have anything that we want. And I think that's what really have to come through. So just the trailer though, grabs me the different dimensions of that. But the important thing is, and that goes back to what I said before, it's one working class, different ways of looking at it, but that's how we have to see what we're doing. And that's the only way we'll pass the PRO Act and just to say, agree with everybody else. If there's one thing we get this administration, it's the PRO Act or we've got nothing, so. Back, back so, to Danny. Um, this is in, uh, in response to you, Kurt, and also to Mark. So uh, the movie was specifically designed to show solidarity. There's a big thing in, in screenwriting where you got to show it so that people do it. So, I mean, this is completely with huge self-interest when I say use the movie to show people what solidarity looks like. <clears throat> In the movie, there's these concentric circles of solidarity. There's labor solidarity. There's, uh, and these circles uh, intersect and the solidarity is jumping all over the place. So there's solidarity across lines of sex, across lines of class, across, uh, by sex I meant gender, uh, class, and then most especially across race. So it's just this wonderful compilation of stories of solidarity. Yeah, it's set against the general strike, but it's really about solidarity. It really is. Um, uh, Mark, Dan, did you have a comment or uh, just want to jump in on this? No, I, I just want to know how to watch it. Now you've, you've <laughs> answered my question, so thank you. Uh, we're really looking forward to it here as well. Okay. I, 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 I thought I saw the... a hand from you earlier. Sorry. Or, or if not, we'll go to Mark. Uh, Mark McDermott, sorry. There's too many Marks, I, too many Chris's. <laughs> I think it's important to remember that we made history in 2020 with this interstate solidarity. Yes. History isn't just yesterday. And I'll give you a micro example. I live in Seattle. We voted 93 to seven in favor of, of uh, Biden. And people who grew up out here, they, they're literally, and they haven't lived in other parts of the country. I'm from Chicago, my wife's from New York City, from the Bronx. And they're going, what's wrong with the people in the rest of the country? And I said, calm down, calm down. Don't get this arrogant West Coast stuff going. But there was a group of 20 friends of mine, all retired, who did 20,000 texts in the three weeks before the election. And every day they were like challenging each other to do more. And it was mainly going into Arizona. And then after Arizona, then they shifted over to Georgia. And those people are sitting there and they're high as a kite today. We're gonna to bang pots and pans at eight o'clock tonight. We're gonna to march through the streets in our neighborhood. 
And what are we going to ask those people to do now to like pass the PRO Act or some other major pieces of legislation? They're fired up. They're inspired. They got time on their hands. We can't just let them drift back and then wait till 2022. We got to figure out ways to give people ideas to be involved now. Well, let me let me throw something out. We'll just sort of go around the horn one more time before we wrap up. But I mean, yeah, let me be clear. I'm totally for the PRO Act, but you know, maybe it's because I'm here inside the Beltway and we've seen bills come, we've seen bills go, bills that don't get brought up. Uh, Chris knows what I'm talking about. Um, what, it, what I'm concerned about is that, you know, Georgia, which we should never, we hadn't have a shot of winning that thing. And let's be honest, Donald Trump helped us a shitload, uh, you know, but it was a lot of the solidarity it was those phone calls, it was that person to person contact but it was also about getting control back of the Senate. That was a good motivator. I gotta tell you, and, and, and a bunch of people here tonight are much more in touch with the grassroots than I am. It's hard for me to imagine the grassroots getting fired up about labor law reform. I mean, most people, if I say labor law reform, their eyes roll up in their head. So, and I, I just don't see that happening. And the PRO Act, I mean, doesn't mean anything to, to, to most folks. Uh, you know, down on the ground. So I, I, I'm skeptical. I'm totally, I'm all in. We will do everything that we can to promote it throughout the network. But I'm skeptical about being able to fire up a grassroots movement about labor law reform. So maybe it's a framing question, but who, who can help me? I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to have Danny on is because frankly, I think a, a little labor musical you know, $7 million labor musical is, you know, that, that kids are going to watch. It's got a, a better chance, frankly, of reaching folks who would never go to a rally, much less go to demonstrate for the PRO Act. That's just my, that's just my take on it. But who, who wants to tell me I'm wrong? Uh, Chris. Well, you're not, you're not wrong, Chris. You're incredibly right. When you and I first met, we argued back in the Meany Center about labor's involvement with ads and multimedia. Things have changed, brother. We all have gotten older, balder, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, this hat doesn't come for, for style, dude. But guys like Danny, guys like John Favre, IATSE unions, creative people need to get together and help us sell that union narrative in these states like Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, even Florida, Mm -hmm. to say this PRO Act will make your life better. And if we don't adopt that as labor communicators and as leaders in our field, uh, then we have failed. And I know I don't want to see the PRO Act fail. I think that it's, I will dedicate UCOM, UCOM PAC. I lost all of my law enforcement clients over this presidency, and I don't give a rat's ass. I will continue to fight this fight. But I'm depending on guys like Danny. Congratulations, brother. But your, your fight's far from over. you got to help us in the States with this PRO Act. And you got to reach out to the Hollywood types to aid us. Because if J-Lo can do whatever she did today, sexy as she is, she needs to step it up and bring the Hollywood community on to educate people like we did the, the white voter in 2008 with Obama. I think it's in our grasp. And we're depending on the AFL-CIO and all of ourselves to make sure that that happens. I think we need a dare. We need to dare to drink 
but uh, dream big. Florida, on, no on November 3rd, voted 61% to raise their state minimum wage to $15 an hour. Two years ago, they voted 65% for a constitutional amendment to grant 1.4 million felons the right to vote for the first time basically in 150 years. I don't claim to be an expert about Florida, but from 3,000 miles away, I say there's a hell of a lot of progressive sentiment in people's hearts and minds about we want something better here. And they still vote for Trump. I mean, narrowly by, by a few points. But the point is, they're not all lost cause by any stretch. And we have to figure out, not be arrogant from the blue states of like telling Florida what to do, but to ask and say, how can we help you? Talk to us. We got resources. We got some energy. Are there ways we can help you think about this? That's, I think, in part how we're going to change our country. Kurt? Yeah, I agree with what's said. I mean, because the other side is true, too. California, which God thank California in so many ways. But unlike Florida, they voted the wrong way on some labor pro pro uh, referendum this election. It, it shows that we have to stay focused on the issue. And I think the key thing with the pro-action is true. We have to deal, like we were talking about at the beginning of this uh, discussion, concrete mechanisms. Workers going into factories on jobs have to be protected from the virus. Employers have to be sanctioned. Biden can do that. We have to deal with some economic issues that people can see visibly by within two years. I mean, sooner than that, but I mean, if we're going to hold on to Congress. But in terms of the PRO Act, it's a question of rights and democracy. And, mm -hmm. I, and I remember this is going back um, during the first football player strike whenever that was in the 80s, I guess. Washington had a good football team in those years. And we, I was working with a, a long time ago, media, a long time ago, uh, with a small media company, and we were doing union films. And uh, we had done a lot of work with the Football Players Association. And those guys uh, volunteered time to support union organizing drives, including UFCW drive in the Seattle area. And we would show little ads, Bertha Cable, for high school football games. Right. Not general things on TV that nobody watches or cares about, but we would get these guys, you know, John Riggins, what have you, right, to do ads, and we would show it at a high on, on the local station that was broadcasting a high school football game. And what they were talking about is, you know, the African American, they, they, they wrote their own script too. You know, I, I know what it's like uh, having a, the notion that I have an owner telling us what to make doesn't sit well with me. That's why I support the union, right? Or I do this, you know, I see this guy with busted knees and no pension. That could be my fate. And then we did it. So the way, and so the PRO Act, yeah, if it's a lobbying thing or if it's just, we're gonna read these amendments, no. Do you want to have decent wages? Do you want social security? Do you wanna be able to retire with dignity? Do you want your kids to be able to go to college? Do you want healthcare? Then we need a strong labor movement. We need these rights, bingo. Easier said than done, I know, but that's, you okay. know, but that's the way we have to frame it as an organizing issue, connecting the two. Otherwise, yeah, we're not gonna get it. That just, works for me. Yeah, just, uh, Mark, Mark. Oh, sorry. Uh, who, 
Yeah. I think we've got, we had Chris, we've had uh, Mark, we've had Kurt. Um, I'm just trying to get I'd to like everybody. To jump on too, yeah. Uh, Evan, go ahead. Yeah, so I mean, definitely we need the PRO Act. And I agree with what's being said, though. We also need mass traction economic issues that actually show material gains before the next election. We need to expand our mandate in two years, which hasn't really been done since like 1934. Mm -hmm. And so something that just came out that I uh, from yesterday, Joe Manchin, the the so-called conservative right winger Democrat from West Virginia, says, quote, the most important thing, do infrastructure, spend two, three, four trillion over a 10 year period on infrastructure. A lot of people have lost their jobs and those jobs aren't coming back. They need a place to work. If we can get $4 trillion, and I, I don't think it should be on books, it should be through the Federal Reserve lending. We shouldn't go to the treasury and ask Wall Street to buy you know, the, the, the treasuries and, and help, um, help fund it that way. But if we can actually get $4 trillion on infrastructure, American Society of Civil Engineers says there's $4 trillion of infrastructure that we need to invest in. Those are gonna be jobs that people are gonna feel right away. And people are gonna see changes and that, that is how you're gonna shift and then let's have concurrent dual tracks. Obviously, we need the PRO Act as well. But getting money into the hands of the people, not just uh, living, not just like giving money away, but like creating jobs, 20, 30 million jobs, union wage jobs, government jobs, even if, if the private sector can't deliver, but also delivering it through county bonds and, and uh, allowing private contractors to take it as well. So that's where I'm hopeful. Folks have to pay attention to Evan. The last thing he was banging on about last week was about starting a petition against Rob and, and then Biden saying, I, I was asking him earlier whether he had a direct line to, to Joe Biden. So uh, Mark, Dan, final final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I, I agree. I, I, you know, the minimum wage issue, I think, has a lot of legs. And I think not only can it be a potent weapon uh, to help people's lives, but it will also um, it also can, can put some Republican senators in a very bad spot. Um, and, um, and I think it's, it, it, it's, it's clear that the only thing between the public and, the, and a $15 an hour minimum wage is, uh, are the politicians. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a great winning argument. The, uh, the infrastructure idea is great. Um, Got to do it all at once. And, the, and then the PRO Act will make more sense when there's another 30 million, uh, another 30 million people in labor unions um, after the after that infrastructure expenditure, so um, that uh, those are the kinds of things you got to build in build in blocks. But uh, but that's a lot more concrete and a lot sexier. Uh, and also, the, the Biden's got to look at things they can do unilaterally, mm -hmm. um, and 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 actions like trying to to get rid of uh, of this of this guy at the NLRB, the things that they can do. Uh, without Congress, um, and they just need to do them, and they knew, need to do them boldly. I think we learned nothing from Trump. Uh, we've learned that. Be bold. I like it. Uh, Joe Cadwell, last thoughts? Again, uh, it just it's been a great, great experience to be on the show with everyone. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to listening to your individual podcast and shows and watching Danny's movie and and again, we're going to do this together. It's a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach. We're going to have to hit our rank and file members uh, all the way to the politicians. Uh, keep the pressure on, keep the information flowing, get people engaged, and we will begin to make these changes. But it all starts with people coming together like we're doing now. So thank you again for uh, inviting me and uh, having me on today, Chris.
Thanks, Joe. Uh, Mark McDermott, did we get, did we get your final thoughts before we, uh, we uh, let me let me just toss one one idea. I'm not I'm not saying it's the strategy. It's one of the strategies to use. But think of this. 70% of the American people want a substantial raise in the minimum wage. There are 15 million union members, okay? If 20% of union members, that would be 3 million union members said, each of us will go out and get 15 signatures on a national petition, we would have 45 million signatures. Did you do that all in your head, Mark? Yes. Wow. Okay. But think about that. All of a sudden, people are driving trucks of 45 million signatures to stand to uh, stack on the Capitol steps when the votes are being taken about should we have a $15 an hour minimum wage. And communities of color disproportionately benefit, women disproportionately benefit immigrants disproportionately benefit. It unifies the working class across race, across gender, across sexual orientation, across immigration. And who is opposed to the idea if you work full time, you shouldn't be poor. That is a rallying cry in America. People can get behind that. that but that, we that, have that to be bold to kind of go, well, why not try something like that? And by the way, you get their signatures and maybe their email addresses, who knows? And now you've got 30 million uh, emails in you in our network, you know, into our listservs for the push in the elections and for other fights. I like it. It's good thought. Uh, quick last thoughts from uh, Alan and then uh, Patrick, and then we're going to wrap with Danny. Uh, Alan? Uh, sure. I, I mean, I really like this conversation about how to bring a lot of, you know, the pro-Trump working class uh, back into the fold. I mean, I'm currently out here in Shenandoah County, Virginia, um, that voted overwhelmingly pro-Trump. And it's just, you know, but these are still working people. So I, I agree with all the sentiments that, you know, whatever it takes, whether it's infrastructure spending, whether it's the minimum wage, there has to be a way to just improve their daily lives. And perhaps by doing that, whether it's through wages, whether it's through infrastructure investment, you know, perhaps we can start to bring them into the fold because, you know, the way I see it, these folks have been duped. I think they've been duped a lot longer than just four years as well. And they're just, you know, disenchanted with essentially both parties. I mean, I've been driving around here and I've seen, um, you know, Trump signs, tons of Trump signs, Trump flags, but also Trump signs with Pence cut out, um, <laughs> clearly engaged. And how do we bring those folks back in? Um, that's the biggest question. I, I agree with all the sentiments that I would love to just sit down and talk and ask what we can do to help, what, you know, what labor can do to help folks that feel that they have been pushed to the margins so far that they're engaging all this misinformation, all these lies. Um, yeah, th those are really my thoughts. I have, to, I have to tell you, I was looking for Martin Luther King quotes. I thought I knew all of his quotes, uh, but I found a great one the other day. He said to a fight, fight with love. And, yes. I, and I thought, and that's, and, and I thought that is, that's so, and he, so it's not about, don't fight. He's not, you know, you fight, but you fight with love. And that's kind of what I'm, what I'm hearing. Uh, Patrick, thoughts from you? Alan touches on an important subject, I think. I mean, for, for all the uh, focus on, on, on the, the sort of exciting new, new agenda that, that's sort of possible for Labour, the Republican Party has 
a real crisis on its hands. You think? I'm curious about the degree to which uh, you know a civil war within the Republican Party might um, ha quite how that will affect. Uh, the Democratic Party's legislative agenda, whether the party will be in so much crisis that it won't be able to focus. I mean, typically, those of us in DC, we know how difficult these sort of legislative agendas are because the Republicans, they all line up behind one another and, you know, march in unison against you. Now, they've had a bit, you know, a few too many uh, marches in, in DC lately. So, quite how that's going to, it's going to be quite a dynamic situation, I think. Um, just one other thing I wanted to report. I've been closely studying the aerial photographs and credit where credit's due. Biden did not get as many people attending his inauguration as Trump. <laughs> he, had more, he had more flags. Clearly he had more flags. But just for the record. Yeah. It was still a very popular occasion, but you know. And, you know for, uh, fake news, fake news, fake news. All right. Danny Perhaps it's important to think about, um, you know, what Fred Hampton was doing with the Young Patriots um, and the Rainbow Coalition. Um, and, you know, I mean, Fred Hampton was like, you know, if they fly the Confederate flag, you know, whatever, we'll use that to bring them in, um, which is a crazy thing to think about in 2021. But, you know, it, it, Fred Hampton was onto something, you know, as, ra as radical as he may have been, you know, Rainbow Coalition, you know, international working class solidarity so you know that's, I think i'm gonna let you put together a show on that one i'm a little skeptical but all right all right all right uh danny sure last last thoughts uh, uh as canadian looking in um i'm happy that this movie has uh kind of cross-border solidarity that that it has used for all it's worth thanks for the opportunity to even talk about it Thanks, Danny. And uh, the last thing that I would just say as we're, we're wrapping here is that, first of all, thanks to everybody, the guests, the hosts, uh, for joining us uh, here today. Really appreciate it. Um, it, you know, spending some time with us, and especially since we extended it out. Um, but what I just wanted to say, two things so, so for all of you guests, you need to be aware that you, uh, you are now liable to get emails and calls for, from a lot of different uh, of these labor shows asking you uh, to be on. So just fair warning, it's going to happen. This is part of our attempt to create this massive labor radio podcast echo chamber to push things, frankly, like the PRO Act or $15 minimum wage, whatever uh, the issues are. So, so just be warned about that. The other thing is, is that, uh, you know, this network, uh, you know, uh, and, and Chris knows, cause he was there, you know, at the beginning two years ago, Chris, it was you, me, and I think five other people talking on a, on a conference call. You know, we, we didn't know from Zoom. I don't even think Zoom existed at that time. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, really took off over the last year since the pandemic and now have over 80, including uh, we've got a couple of shows in Canada. We picked up one in Australia this uh, last week. There's one in England, most of them obviously here in the States. But I just wanted to say that for me, it's been so completely inspiring uh, to meet folks like Joe uh, you know, who are there on the ground in the Northwest. I wouldn't know Joe if it wasn't for the network, you know. Uh, you know, I go to visit my sister in Seattle once every couple of years, but we wouldn't have connected. And to know that, you know, Joe's got this podcast, 
Uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of folks like Joe who are doing local podcasts and who have the ear of their members and other folks there on the ground. And, and I gotta say, and again, you know, I'm here in the Beltway, and it's it, you know it's it's hard. Uh, you know, those of you that have been here and Kurt's been around for a minute, you know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to get too excited about legislative efforts, right? Right, Chris LaGrange? I mean, it's, you know, it's a long slog and, and, and uh, but I have a lot of faith in the grassroots. And when I look and you know, there's 1500 right-wing radio stations. So when you look at how, you know, so many right-wingers have gotten elected and stay in office, a lot of it is because of that. We're not at 1500 yet, but you know, 80 plus from zero two years ago um, and getting folks like you to talk about these issues you know, to folks at the grassroots, um, you know, it's, it's gonna change. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I think you know, down the road, there's gonna be big changes. So uh, thank you all for being with us. And like I say, we're looking forward to hearing your voices uh, on the air over the next uh, couple of years. And with that, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast weekly live stream. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, tune in next week, seven o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And producer Evan, you're going to roll our little uh, outro there. All right, folks. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. my brother because if you do you can hear their voices still calling from across the years and they're crying across the ocean they're crying across the land and they will until we all come to understand none of us are free none of us are free